Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, you have knit us into one creation, and for our salvation we give you thanks and praise. Open our hearts to receive a word. Amen. There were two little bugs sitting on a leaf, uh, little inchworms, little green caterpillar guys, and they needed to get from one leaf all the way to the next tree over. And the first bug said, let's just climb down, walk on the ground, climb up the other tree. The other bug says, no, I know a better way. I know a faster way to get to the other tree. You see, over here, there's a rope. There's a string that connects this tree to that tree. We're just going to climb along the string. We're going to get there. Licky split. And the first bug said, Oh, my friend, my young learner, that is no rope, you see, for that is the web of a spider. Then if we go on that string, we will become lunch. And the first bug said, Yeah, but I don't see any spiders around. Maybe the spiders are in some other part of the web. We'll just use this part of the web to get from one tree to the other. And the spider will be none the wiser. And the second bug said, I'm tired of arguing with you. Very well, let us depart. And the two bugs set upon that little line connecting one tree to the other. And from far, far away, the spider felt the tugging on the web and it ran up and it made lunch out of the both of them. The end. The great American theologian, Bonnie Miller McLemore, has said that the Holy Spirit is the living web of all human interaction. That the Holy Spirit, like an imperceptible spider's web, connects all of us to each other. We don't have a hard time in this church talking about universal salvation or general reconciliation, as the Baptists sometimes call it. This is the notion that God is powerful enough to save everyone. Everyone. We don't seem to have a hard time lifting our hearts and praying to a God that would leave none behind. This used to be a pretty controversial opinion. For many, many years in the Christian church, people felt that it was unfair that some people would get to go to heaven, and other people wouldn't have to go to hell. In that time, they've done away with that. Many, many churches are able to preach this universal reconciliation. I am a Calvinist, though this is the one place where John Calvin and I disagree. I believe in my heart, though, that had John lived another 10 years, he would have come around to understanding that Christ is strong enough to redeem the world. It seems to be what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. Isaiah tells this story of what this reconciliation will be like. It says in the Bible that God will make a feast for all people. It says in the Bible that God will 
destroy the death that is cast over all people, all nations. It says that the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. It says that the reproach will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I don't think God is given to stuttering or making mistakes. The Bible appears to confirm that when God says all, God means all. The question that I think is for us today is to determine for ourselves what all actually means. I have no problem with a God who's strong enough to save all from the powers of death. But as the six-year-old who is always pestering me with new questions asks, do dogs go to heaven? And I say, well, according to the Bible, there is no heaven. There's only a physical resurrection of the body. And the kingdom of God will descend like a city from on high, prepared as a bride for a bridegroom. I don't say that to the six-year-old. That would be a very weird thing to put in their head. No, no, no. I say, yes, of course. Of course dogs go to heaven. Have you ever met a dog? They're the best. I knew many dogs. I've known many dogs. This past year has been remarkably hard for me. I say that as a person who has done this thing 40 times. And uh, I tend to not be a complainer and always try to look on the bright side of life. Uh, but I, this year kind of sucked. I had Lyme disease. Didn't see that coming. Didn't think it was going to be that bad. It's bad. I got COVID-19 for the first time. A lot of people said, well, you probably had it before and you just didn't notice. And as I lay there in bed, I thought, I would have noticed this. <laughs> I slept for 48 hours. It was not easy. I was very sick. And I'm grateful for the medicine that I was able to receive. And I lost my dog, Daisy, this year. She was only seven years old. And she died very unexpectedly. And we didn't see it coming. We had no warning. And it happened. And it was really hard on the kids. And it was really hard on Heather. And I had to do the hard thing. But I really miss her. Heather is like the foundation upon which I build everything around me and she is my, she is, I have a list of five people who I bring everything to and at the top of the list is Jesus and right underneath him is my wife. And she said to me, God sent Daisy to us to help us bring our children into the world. And I think that that may be true. She was so sweet and good with those babies, each one of them. Now, to be clear, Daisy was not a good dog. <laughs> I've known many dogs. I grew up farming and we had dogs. We had, we had border collies that knew 50 different commands. We had border collies that would teach other dogs how to go to the bathroom outside. Do you know how, that's a miracle. <laughs> Daisy, didn't, Daisy knew her name and that's about it. 
So if she was doing something bad, she'd look at you. <laughs> that was it. Um, but she was so good with babies. She'd wrap herself around them, she would, and then she would eat all of the food. Anything that was on the... The house has never been cleaner than when we had Daisy. She, she was overweight. And I come from a family with veterinarians in it. So that's... My, my cousins have owned uh, the Cascade Hospital for Animals, the Siegel family, uh, for three generations. And uh, Rick, uh, my uncle, has been a vet to our pets, and now his son, Clayton uh, Siegel, has taken, taken over the business and is a marvelous veterinarian, and they've helped us. And I was always bugging Clayton. I'm like, look at her, she's huge. And he's like, she's fine. He said, you know, uh, her health metrics are all great. Um, I said, yes, but Clayton, she looks like a sausage with toothpicks for legs. Her head is so small compared to the rest of her body. And he's like, yeah, well, sometimes dogs are funny looking. And... <laughs> and um, you know, I got her from a guy, I was driving, and I saw a, 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 I saw a man walk into a river with a bucket of puppies. Uh, I knew exactly what was happening, because I grew up in the country, and I pulled the car over, and I said so- something kind of stupid. I said, are those for sale? And he looked at him, and then he looked at me, and he said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how much are they? And he says, hmm. $50. And I said, all right, what kind of dog are they? And he said, oh, they're, uh, uh, these are purebreds. <laughs> yeah, purebred. Uh, so I look looked at my vehicle, and he looked at me, and he's like, uh, German Shepherds. And uh, I, it's nice to know that some hillbilly from middle of Michigan thinks I'm a German Shepherd guy. Um, Daisy was not a purebred German Shepherd. Uh, I told people she was a Hungarian howler. Bred for hunting bees in the old country. I'd make up all sorts of stories about her. I have no idea what she was. <laughs> but she was a very, very good dog with babies. And that's what I needed, because very soon we had three of them. Heather and I are not prone to doing really silly, crazy stuff. We're not very spontaneous people, but when we found out that we were going to be having our first child, Josephine, Heather said, we should get a puppy. <laughs> And in my head, I said, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. (laughs) You're about to be, you know, pregnant for the first time with a baby, and and I'm going to have a puppy. And to be frank with you and say something incredibly controversial that will go viral. Puppies are harder than babies. They're hard. They wake you up in the middle of the night, and they poop on your stuff. And then they destroy your things. Babies will wake you up in the middle of the night, but you always know where they're going to (laughs) poop. And and they don't have any teeth. They're not going to break anything. They don't break, start breaking stuff until they turn two. You know? And then they break all your stuff. Puppies will, you know. And we have a new puppy now. We have Poppy. Poppy. And she is an Australian shepherd. And she's papered. Uh, and uh, she is, like, this is, I've got one and a half pairs of shoes left. I'm wearing one of them right now. <laughs> uh, and she is good with the children. She wants to play with them because she's a puppy. And she's an Australian Shepherd. So my God, the amount of energy this dog has. We've gotten into lure training, which is where you put a little toy on a rope and then you make it go 50 miles an hour back and forth across the yard. And then you watch the dog spend 20 minutes chasing it. And then, then she's good for an hour. <sighs> Anyone who knows dogs knows that dogs are close to the heart of God. Dogs have been a a part of the human race since before we had language. We have been living with dogs. And cats kind of sandwiched themselves into the arrangement at some point. 
and cats are beautiful. And all animals are wonderful. I have a bearded dragon, Mr. Benjamin. He's a rescue. My sister called me. She said, the neighbors are going to get rid of a bearded dragon. You've got to get here and take him. Um, and I said, now? And she said, yes, man, now. And I went and I got him. And I brought him home. And I didn't tell Heather. <laughs> He's grown on her. But it's weird to have a lizard in your house. What's he doing there? Nobody knows. If aliens came to Earth, they wouldn't know. What are you doing with a lizard? I don't know. He just, he lives here. <laughs> What's he do? I, eats bugs and looks at me. Weird. Uh, sometimes I take him out and I let him sit on my shirt. Oh, this is nice. And um, animals have always been a part of our life. We just decided to get a rooster. I just decided to get a rooster. <laughs> I was using the royal we, but I'm going to get in trouble for that. I wanted a rooster. I've got all these hens, and they're all retired. I collect retired chickens. Old ladies who've laid lots of eggs and served a good life and are headed for the soup pot. And I say, I'll take that chicken off your hands and see how long it can live. And it's good, and they're marvelous, and I love them to death. They lay each of them about an egg a week. But we needed a rooster, because I've got a possum that is pestering things. But I didn't want a big rooster to chase my kids and make them afraid. So I was looking for the smallest rooster on the planet. I was talking to this lady, and she had uh, a bunch of bantams. And she had, the long story short, she had a rooster. He's the smallest rooster you've ever met in your life. He's about the size of a pigeon. And he's got a heart of gold. I named him Beef. Uh, Beef Punchley, America's rooster. Um, and he, he goes around, and he's very protective of these uh, elderly chickens that are five times his size. And, uh, and, and I just, I just, I love animals so much. I grew up eating animals, raising animals for food and hunting. You have to have this relationship, this kinship with animals that uh, is so deep that it's a part of you. I understand veganism. I understand the desire to do no harm first. But I also understand that I am woven into the fabric of this creation in a very intimate way. I'm privileged. I'm privileged enough to say that m most of the meat, the majority of the meat that we eat, I have had a relationship with when it was alive. We don't buy much meat from the grocery store. I think that agricultural farming is uh, awful. And I wish that more Americans had that kind of relationship with animals. And when I turn to the Bible and I see this word all, 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 over and over again, everywhere, it's so easy for me to become anthropocentric, to become human-centric and assume that when God says all, God is simply talking about human beings made in the image of God. But what if God is talking about the creation, the cosmic other, the whole thing, the entire universe, if my faith is strong enough and I have the courage to stand up here in a pulpit and say that God, the God that we know, the God that has saved us, is strong enough to save all people, am I brave enough to say that God is strong enough to rescue the entire universe from death? And if I say that, then surely I'm including the animals. And not just the animals, but the trees, and the mountains, and the rivers, the valleys, the stars, and the planets that circle the stars. I do believe at this late stage in my, preach, in my preaching career that God is strong enough to do that. 
Immanuel Kant, Kant from whom I get my ethics, my secular morals, the categorical imperative, said that a man who is hard with animals will surely be hard with other men. You can know a person's heart by watching the way that they treat animals. And David Attenborough, uh, who is still with us and still doing wonderful work, um, has said, you cannot save a rhinoceros unless you save the rhinoceros's environment that it lives in. I think about this world that we are tasked by this book with being stewards of, being stewards, not owners, stewards of. And I think about the rhinoceros and the environment around it and the sacrifices that we need to make on behalf of these animals that can't, can't tell us anything. God tasked us with it, I believe, because we're up to the task. That human beings, unique amongst all animals, have the wisdom and the knowledge and the gifts and skills to care for creation without messing it up. I believe that Isaiah's vision of God's holy mountain isn't just a vision for the church, isn't just a vision for the Christian, it isn't just a vision for one select group of special people who use the right words, pray the right prayers. I believe that Isaiah intentionally uses the metaphor of a mountain because in the time in which this was written, in the time in which this was sung, that was the the, the biggest thing that existed. It was the closest thing to a metaphor for the cosmos that the prophet could see and understand and write down. So when we tug on those little pieces of the spider web, we are affecting change. We are sending out into the universe uh, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, our visions. And we would be very foolish inchworms if we didn't think that there wouldn't be consequences, if we didn't think that there wouldn't be something out there, listening, watching, waiting. When we are in that dark place in our lives, sickness has sapped away our strength, Something or someone we love has gone from us, never to return. Our hearts are broken. We are walking on that spider's web. And I do the most irrational thing I can think of when my heart is broken. I try to find a way to sacrifice or give to make someone else's life a little bit better. I, in my brokenness and hurt, attempt to be more compassionate than ever. I do the hard thing. I, 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 pull, I pull out of traffic and park my car and walk to the guy in the intersection with the sign. And I, I give him money that I can't afford to give away. And I give him a hug. because I know that we're connected. It might not make sense in my head. I, like that first inchworm, might say, how on the earth is this thing gonna have any effect on this thing way over there? 
But then I remember the web. I remember. Other religions have other words for it. Karma, fate. Uh, the, the modern spiritualists are into this law of attraction stuff. I don't know. I call it the Holy Spirit. When I am in danger or in fear or in pain, I try to manifest as much compassion, giving, helpfulness, empathy, love. I put it into the world like I'm trying to put out a fire. And I tell you the truth. It works. I don't know how it works. I wish I did. I could probably make a lot of money. I don't know how it works, but I know, I know for a fact that when I am hurting, when I'm in pain or in need, and I choose to make myself useful and of service to others who are hurting and who are in pain, it is like I am pulling on the web and the aid, the thing that I need, comes into my life. I was hurting and now, I don't know, there's this crazy puppy that's destroying all my shoes. I don't know why she's in my life. I love her to death. She's not too sure about me, you know. She adores Heather and the kids. And I show up and she gets a little grumpy. I tell her, I sit her down and I say, Poppy, everybody yells at you when you jump on them and lick their faces. You can jump on me and lick my face all day. I won't yell at you. And it doesn't make any difference. She goes to other people and licks their faces and gets yelled at. Maybe when she's older. But I know that by loving her, by loving this creature, by putting my love into these elderly chickens and this silly little rooster, by putting my love and affection into the land around my home, into the parks and the rivers and the environment, into the forests, by defending those things which have no voices and cannot speak for themselves, that I am carefully pulling on the web's strings that connect to me. And I know such love in my life. And I know that those things are connected, but I can't know how. Bring joy to the holy mountain of God. Uh, bring joy into the cosmos, into the world, into the creation. I think it's what you were created for, to give praise and glory to God. But I know that it's hard. I know that it's hard, especially when we're sick and tired and worn out. But I believe that that is the moment at which it is most necessary to do that which is hardest, to give joy to others, especially those who can give you nothing in return. And I promise, and you can hold me to this promise, you can hold me to this promise, that if you choose to do this, you will see miracles. You will see changes in your life. You will see beautiful things around each corner. I can't promise they're gonna fill your belly or your bank account, but I can promise you that they'll make it all worthwhile they'll make it worthwhile. Giving, generosity, compassion. These are the master keys that unlock a life for the ages. Bring joy to God's holy mountain. Pray and then act. And know with great certainty that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you too will experience and know joy beyond belief because God is strong enough God is powerful enough and God is faithful enough to make good on these promises of this I am absolutely certain bring joy to God's holy mountain beloved 
somehow this week and know that God sees and loves and acts. Amen.